0: and we're live hey are you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the blasters and blades podcast just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies a place where magic is king the sky is the limit and space is the place the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction uh so without further ado we're gonna let mr darren Drader introduce himself to you dear listener dear viewer
1: hi i'm darren Drader. um i'm a writer author game designer. I've actually been working in the tabletop role-playing game industry for over two decades. Um, I've worked for an, most of the major publishers, uh, Wizards of the Coast, Paizo, Done uh, some work for Mongoose, um, so on and so forth. Uh, quite, quite a few of them that I'm not mentioning, but Fainting Goat Games is one of them I will mention um, because uh, Mike Lafferty is the one who recommended I be here. And, uh, uh, of course, my own company, which is Darren Drader Designs, or Triple D for short.
0: Okay. The next part of the introduction is how we first found them. And as he mentioned, it was through Mike Lafferty over at Fading Goat Games. Uh, He had an episode, which uh, we've already interviewed him about, so you'll be able to watch that on Monday. But uh, he was in issue 12 of the Blaster Bolts Easing, which I also have an episode in that was a lot of fun. The products are a lot of fun. It's worth hopping over to Drive Through RPG and checking it out, even if you're normally an Amazon or Amazon or Bust kind of guy. Uh, I'd still recommend it. The short stories are awesome. The pictures are great. The ads are hilarious. Don't think they're real, please, uh, but they are hilarious. And uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, we are here to talk about you today. So the religion question, sir. Are you ready for this? And I am ready. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly?
1: So I have a pretty deep appreciation for all three of them. Uh, but I think that my, I think I have the greatest amount of appreciation for Star Trek.
0: Is it the, uh, the holodeck? That's what gets a lot of people.
1: <laughs> no, it's not the holodeck. It's the fact that it is, um, it's, it's a universe I'd want to live in.
0: Fair. Um, all right. And because we are polytheistic over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or the Wheel of Time.
1: Definitely Lord of the Rings.
0: You know, I ask these questions and I keep expecting one day someone will say something else, but the Lord of the Rings is sort of the fantasy that started it all. So I shouldn't be surprised that everyone else said the Lord of the Rings.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, The Wheel of Time, I, I got about three books into it and I didn't find Robert Jordan's writing style to be, well, it just didn't really click with me. Um, he kind yeah. of, meanders a lot in his wording and uses like phrases over and over that are kind of odd and to to me it i had a hard time with it um but the tv series what i've I've seen about four episodes i'm gonna go back and finish watching it i've really enjoyed that so that's cool um game of thrones is just too nihilistic for me
0: yeah i agree with you on game of thrones I have not read The Wheel of Time, but I did watch the show, and I did enjoy it. I have met Robert Jordan in real life, and let me just say, as uh, verbose as you think he is in his writing, he is equally so, or was when I met him. He spoke to the uh, the English club when I was in college. Oh, very um, cool. So that was, that was kind of cool. So uh, we here at the Blasterbolts like both the fantastical and the scientific, but what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Well, it was
1: sci-fi but that's because I was introduced to it. Uh, I was introduced to star Wars at the age of four. So fantasy hadn't really had a chance to get in there. I would also argue that star Wars is science fiction fantasy anyway. So it's kind of both, but, um, okay. you know, after seeing star Wars that led to other science fiction, uh, TV shows and movies. And it really wasn't until I was, well, close to a decade older than that, that I started actually reading fantasy and, and understood what that was about.
0: Okay, so was the um, was the Star Wars your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction, or was there something before it? Four is kind of young, so I don't know if you can top it.
1: <laughs> well, I do remember reruns of uh, Star Trek that my uncles watched uh, before that. and But the thing is, at that point, I was so young, I didn't really understand what I was looking at. Um, I don't think I really appreciated it. So Star Wars is the first one that I actually appreciated.
0: Okay, so what is it that you love about speculative fiction as a genre?
1: Well, um, as a genre, it, uh, you know, gives you it gives you a chance to dream. Um, You know, there's when you look out the window, you you're going to see pretty much the same thing i mean we've got different uh different environments here on earth but um you know it's all it's all earth-like we're familiar with all of it if we haven't been there ourselves we at least have seen the pictures and we know what it looks like and that type of thing and speculative fiction gives you the chance to imagine something different you know um different alien species different um you know worlds that might be covered in fungus instead of trees or you know, so on and so forth and then there's the uh, the question of um, You know, what are we capable of building? You know, can we build a space station the size of a moon? Um, or a Dyson sphere or um, You know, can we overcome the uh, the speed of light and actually bypass the uh, you know, the universal speed limit um <clears throat> it's kind of uh you know it, it it's a way to look at um it's a way to look at the future and imagine what might be and what we might achieve and it doesn't have to be tied back to our our daily mundane lives
0: okay that is a good answer um dare to dream and all So how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre transition to you writing novels and creating content in this space?
1: Well, um, I always wanted to, um, you know, in high school, I think at the age of 16, I made the decision that I'm going to be a writer, (laughs) which is, you know, I mean, at that point in time, I'd written stories and I was very interested in fiction. I read a lot of books and that type of thing, but that was the age where I just sat down and said, you know what? it's my life to live i'm gonna live it the way i want i'm gonna be a writer and i've actually followed that um ever since um so how did that you know how did that uh, transition um you know the first thing you do when you want to do something is you learn as much as you can about it so i took a class of creative writing in uh, in high school and then when i went to college i took um two more classes on creative writing. And then on top of that, I also took a class on um, uh, science fiction literature. Um, later on, I ended up working for uh, Wizards of the Coast as an employee and I also did some freelancing. And so it, it just kind of it was the direction I wanted to go in. And it's a direction I've followed ever since.
0: That is a good answer. So let's transition from there to games you're not just an author as you mentioned you're also an rpg game designer so mm-hmm. how did your love of role-playing transition into getting work in that space
1: well uh that's that's an interesting story I think <laughs> um so in uh what was it 2000 and, I want to say 2000. or no actually I'm sorry 2000 no it's 1996 or 97 somewhere in there Um, I was actually working in the Seattle area, I was living in the Seattle area and I was working um, at a place that sells computers and um, I had heard one day that uh, Wizards of the Coast, which was like literally less than a mile away from where I was selling computers, had acquired TSR and that made me very excited because it had always been a dream of mine to, to work for TSR um of course they were in wisconsin and they were kind of out of reach and i had no desire to move there or um and i really didn't even know how to go about applying for a job with them um so i hear that they've acquired tsr and at that point i'm excited um and then one day uh a guy who i'm still friends with jim butler who was a TSR employee and then became a Wizards of the Coast employee. Currently works at uh, at Paizo as a president. Um, comes walking into the um, into the store, and I sell him a computer. And of course, at that point, um, I'm like, "Oh my god, you work for TSR!" I'm just, I'm am amazed, and you know, tell me what you guys are up to, and blah blah blah. And we actually got along really well. And he uh, he ended up leaving. Wizards of the Coast and started up his own company called Bastion Press. And I ended up being a, a regular freelancer for him. Um, but after after that, it, it took me a little while to get me through the door. Um, what ended up happening was uh, I was, um, the, the company I was selling computers for went out of business. So I went to work for uh, Sleep Train, selling mattresses. And then while I was doing that, I was finding sales just, you know, not very rewarding. Um, you know, it's not something I really wanted to do long-term. And so at the time there are these wizards of the coast um, retail stores. So I walked into one, started talking to the employees. It's like, Hey, is there a back door in the wizards of the coast? And they mean like what retail? And I'm no corporate. And they're like, Oh yeah, there's this one staffing company. Oh really? So I quit my job in sales, got with the staffing company, they got me placed in Wizards of the Coast very quickly, and then from there, it didn't take that much time for me to make connections within the research and development team, Um, you know, they got me, um, I submitted some articles to Dragon Magazine, Um, those got printed, and then it moved on to the Book of Exalted Deeds, and then uh, some Forgotten Realms stuff, and then... Uh, D20 modern apocalypse. Um, And things just kind of snowballed from there. But it, uh, for me, it was really just, you know, get on site, make the connections and um, show them that I can actually do the work.
0: So it all started with quality customer service is what you're telling me.
1: You could say that yes. Or you could say that it started with uh, with sales.
0: <laughs> well, I'm just thinking if you had been one of those snarky, rude sort of salespeople that sometimes you have to deal with, you might not have landed your dream job.
1: That's true. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Uh, I wouldn't say that Jim Butler was was um, instrumental in getting me through the door, but he did give me some opportunity once you know. After the point, because as I was coming in, he was going out. Right. Um, But it was more like that was the first TSR employee that I met or the first Wizards of the Coast employee that I met. And uh, I don't think he went back to the office and told people about me or anything. But, um, you know, for me, it was like, oh, these people are actually here now. I'm actually meeting them. This is really cool. There might be a place there for me, (laughs) you know.
0: So it was the spark that lit the forest fire of, of, of love for you. All right. So uh, I don't want to get any any uh, weirder because, you know, we'll, we'll just move on. <laughs> so many creative types let their own real-life experiences influence the way they tell stories, or in your case, also create content. So were there any specific formidable moments that shaped you as a storyteller or game designer?
1: Hmm. Well, as a game designer, I think that... Uh... I think it was just my first exposure to role-playing games um, I actually so I think I was about uh, nine or ten years old and um, I was uh, as at Toys R Us with my mother and we saw the D&D you know red box set and not knowing what it was I just said hey I want that okay so we got it and I took it home and I remember sitting there by myself, reading through it, and not really getting how the game is played. I was pretty young still, not really understanding what it is you're supposed to do here. Um, so then it kind of got put away into the closet, and I kind of forgot about it. And then um, when I was 11, and this is uh, this is fall of 1984, um, my best friend from when I was much younger. Um, he had uh he had at one point lived across the street from me and we'd always um you know, we'd always stayed in touch and that type of thing. He came and visited the area with uh uh with his mother and he ended up spending about a week um out at the farm with me. Um and so, you know, we were obviously kind of bored and he's like going, eh, what do you have to do? You know, and he starts looking through looking through my junk in the closet and he pulls out the D&D box and he's like, oh, you've got D&D, all right, got to play this. Um, and then uh, he basically soloed me through a couple of... Well, he stole, sold me through one adventure, um, which was uh, called The Lost City, B4. I'm sure anybody who knows D&D is familiar with it, at least they've been playing long enough. Um, and after that, that was just, you know, um, kind of a mind-blowing experience for me because now you don't just read about it in fiction, you can actually play it, you can actually be a character and, and that sort of thing. So um, I ended up going out uh, to the bookstore, with he was still there and uh, picking up B5, which is Horror on the Hill. And then he, he ran me through that. And that kind of opened up the door to collecting D&D books and um, collecting more D&D books and trying to get a group together and eventually getting that group together and long-term campaigns and you know so on and so forth. It's one of those things where You know, I kind of ended up having this uh, this real love for it. And um, in addition to deciding, hey, I want to write fiction for a living um, at the age of 16, um, I also kind of said, I'd like to find a a place for myself in the RPG industry as well. And eventually, like I said, I, I managed to make that happen.
0: Well done, by the way, that's some dedication. So let's transition away from the creative side and talk about things from the fan angle so has anybody ever asked for your autograph no
1: <laughs> i have been to conventions where you know i, I was sitting at a table and, and signing out autographs and that you know occasionally i'd have somebody come by with a book of exalted deeds or one of the forgotten realms books and i'd sign it um but has anybody gone out of their way to ask for ask me for an autograph no not really um i can tell you however that will wheaton is the only person alive who has a copy of the book, "The Book of Exalted Deeds," with the signatures of all three of the authors that worked on it. Wow! And that was that was my doing. So,
0: <laughs> so did you get your own copy that was set with with all the signatures, at least?
1: No. No, I didn't. Um, that was that
0: was a mistake on your part. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, I was one of I was one of the authors, and I. You know, I, there's two other authors. There's uh, there's Chris Perkins and James Wyatt, um, and uh, I I kind of saw them on a daily basis. So uh, I didn't really feel like I needed to, you know, go all fanboy on them and say, "Will you
0: sign this next to my name?" <laughs> so I, I guess I'm enough of a historian that I like want to I want a copy of everything I write, and if I co-wrote, like, get one with signatures because you know, for posterity's sake. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but in the modern age, you don't necessarily have to know someone in real life to work with them. So some of mm-hmm. these people you know you've only met over the phone or or whatever. Yeah. So it's not quite the same. And I, I'm co-writing with uh with James Ward, and you could best believe I'll be getting that one with his signature on it. <laughs> for, cool. for later. He's, Very he's cool. a nice guy. I like him. All right. So you
1: work on Giant Lands?
0: Uh no, it's um a Portal Fantasy series. Oh. Okay. So a modern striker brigade and goes into fantasy Egypt, fights the okay. gods and such. Cool. Because who doesn't love a good Egyptian story? But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about you. <laughs> the Giant Lands is awesome, by the way. We did an interview on it, dear listeners. So check that one out. And uh, it's still available for sale. So talking about you as a nerdy creator, have you ever gotten to see anybody out in public reading your books or playing any of your games?
1: Reading my books, no. Um, but that's because I am self-published and uh, basically um, – Either people I've never met before go on Amazon and purchase something that I have written or I am directly involved with selling them the book, in which case it is not a surprise when se- when I see them reading it at some point. Um, playing my games, however, yes, um, I have been to uh, conventions where, you know, they had the Book of Exalted Deeds out or, you know, they're running a Forgotten Realms game and... Uh, you know, they might have had Serpent Kingdoms or Mysteries of the Moon Sea and using that. Um, so, yeah, I, I have had that happen.
0: So, uh, dear listener, we haven't talked about this yet, but he does have a way to contact him on his Discord. And uh, presumably you have a newsletter?
1: Um, No, <laughs> I should, but I don't. So
0: you, you can reach out to him through his website. So if you have pictures of people in the wild, even if that person is you. Uh, reading your, his content, he'd love to see it. Oh, the yeah, coolest gift awesome. I ever got was well, someone took a picture of them reading my book by the fire, uh, by a fireplace, with a good cigar and some some aged bourbon, which is <laughs> you know for military science fiction you can't beat that as an image, right? And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah you're you're just, really cool. you just can't. So so if you can do that kind of thing for other authors, they would always love to see it. So so there you go. Um, so finally, uh, what is the weirdest or funniest interaction you've had with a fan since you started creating content? Well, um, see, the thing
1: is, I don't go to a lot of conventions and um, that's mainly because I live in eastern Washington and uh, the nearest one that happens is, I think, Spokon, which I've gone to a couple times, um, you know, and then if I want to go to Western Washington, you know, there's PaizoCon and there's NorwestCon and I have been to both those, but I don't go to them very often. Um, but uh so so like i said i don't i wouldn't say that i have a lot of direct interactions with a lot of fans but i do remember this one time um i got in the elevator and i'm pretty sure this is for for paizo and it might have even been for the very first paizo um i got in in an elevator and one of the people riding um was also attending the convention and uh He he asked me a couple of questions and realized that I am somebody who writes RPG material and has worked on some stuff that he's familiar with, at which point in time he got very quiet and kind of weirded out until we got off the elevator. So I thought that was kind of funny.
0: And if you are that that, uh, that person, if that was you, he's okay. You could still reach out and ask for his autograph. Just email him. (laughs) Links are in the show notes. He'd love to talk to you. And, uh, and join us, Discord, if you want something more regular. So, right. So, this is the part of the interview, dear listener, where we talk about everything Darren Drader has created or designed. So, can you give us the Reader's Digest uh, version of your body of works? Uh, sure.
1: Um, I've mentioned the uh, stuff that I did for Wizards of the Coast. So, that's going to be Book Result of Exalted Deeds. It's the very first one. A couple of Forgotten Realms books. and Serpent Kingdoms and Mysteries of the Moon Sea. Then there was D20 Apocalypse. Uh, Then we get into stuff, the era where I started working for a lot of other people. So I worked on almost every book in the Oathbound line from Bastion Press. Um, I worked on some Paizo material. Um, So if you are a Pathfinder fan and you're familiar with the Grave Knight, I wrote that. Um, I also wrote um, an adventure and some other stuff for them um let's see we're doing cliff's notes so i'll skip a whole bunch of stuff uh there is a book that is fairly recent for fifth edition it's a monster book by Kobold press uh that is called i always get this wrong and i might have to look it up um actually i'm gonna look it up real quick um that is called tomb of beasts 2. okay I contributed 25 monsters to that. Um, and it's a, it's a huge book, and there's probably like 400 monsters in it, so it's not like I contributed a huge chunk of, of the book, but it was actually one of the more significant contributions from uh, any of the, uh, the writers. Um, Reign of Discordia, I I did that. I'm now doing the Kickstarter. Um, and, and I think that's probably... I, I've got something like 70 or 80 published credits so i'm not going to go and list them all
0: <laughs> no that that is understandable sometimes you can list them all because your authors are new enough and others they've got like hundreds of, of titles out literally and we just don't we don't have time for that that's why we exactly. said readers digest version instead of at one point in time i literally read them out and when i realized one author i it was five minutes of me reading titles i'm like never again <laughs> <laughs> uh michael anderley i'm looking at you boy um he's a nice <laughs> guy though. He, so. how does he do that
1: i know uh, who you're talking about I've, I've i i don't know how he starts. writes so
0: fast i wish i could figure it out because i'd like to duplicate it i'm just not Fair that cre- not that fast i know yeah. it, and that was even before he had all the co-writers i mean he was he was still writing at a fast pace so mm-hmm. uh before we dive into the reign of discordia which is what brought us here you created 25 monsters for that manual. So, how do you mm-hmm. go about creating when you make monsters? Do you let nature inspire you? Are you, you know, inspired <laughs> by your nightmares, folk legends? Like, how do you how do you go about creating those? Well, I was working with
1: um, with Wolfgang Bauer, who runs Kobold Press, and a lot of it was just I come up with an idea, I pitch it in a sentence or two, and I throw it at him and see what sticks. That's part of it. The other part of it is um there were quite a few uh quite a few nights out on the deck with my wife drinking wine coming up with the craziest ideas that we could come up with um such as the butterfly demon which they actually used to market that book for the kickstarter um my wife actually came up with that idea um she's like what about a butterfly demon and i'm like
0: Okay, how many wines deep were you at that point? Because <laughs> that's unique.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to take the fifth on that question.
0: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Few enough that you remembered it in the morning.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it ended up being a, a butterfly demon lord. We got two butterfly demons out of it. because so we had the d- butterfly demon lord, and then we had the um, uh, the lesser one that serves the the, the demon lord. Um And, uh, so like I said, sometimes the ideas came directly from her, her twisted mind when we were talking about, I think I like her already.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. So before we dive in, we're going to take a moment where we shamelessly shill for the man with this commercial interlude.
2: A single blip on her instrument panel brings boss to a halt alone on her spaceship in a remote quadrant. She drops below light speed and listens. Hearing a blip like that makes her heart pound. It means a faint energy signature from an unknown source. Somewhere nearby. Most likely a ship. Boss specializes in abandoned ships. She dives them for salvage. But this is like nothing she's ever seen. Probably because she knows it can't be there. All of her knowledge of history, physics, and space wrecks says it's impossible. But if it's what she thinks, it could hold the key to a tremendous technological advance. One that no one in the universe should have. Called Page-Turning Space Adventure by Publishers Weekly, Diving Into the Wreck by Christine Catherine Rush is classic science fiction at its most gripping. Find all seven novels in the award-winning Diving Series at DivingIntoTheWreck.com.
0: All right, it's a, it's a great series, people, if you haven't checked it out. Um, and while we just, uh, before the commercial break, you told us about all the, the products, well, the Reader's Digest version... Mm -hmm. Uh, And for you youngins, Reader's Digest is just like, it means it's the shortened version, all right? Um, While those all sounded fascinating, we're here today to talk about your reign of Discordia Kickstarter. So where did you get the premise for this universe that is Discordia?
1: Okay, so basically this came from back in 2007, late 2007, early 2008, something like that. Um, I was working with a group of game designers called the Cabbages is a game designer guild and a lot of that work ended up being done for piso but um uh it was also you know we kind of referred people to other um other publishers and i ended up working with what was then reality deviant publications they're now called gunmetal games and um, i like it yeah yeah they have a really cool name um so at that point in time uh david jarvis who runs that company was interested in a science fiction setting you know he wanted to publish a science fiction setting that was compatible with the true 20 rules and true 20 rules were kind of a simplified version of uh the regular d20 or dnd uh, rules third edition which um so anyway he asked me uh, um, he asked me to to basically do something and You know, I came up with, I came up with a proposal and, and sent it to him. He's like, yeah, yeah, go for it. Cool. So basically the, um, you know, the idea kind of came to me one time when I was out, out for a walk, like, you know, what am I going to do about this? It's the, you know, that's different than what else is out there. And, you know, at the time, um, Star Wars was doing the, the expanded universe, um, So in the Star Wars universe, you know, the Empire falls and then the New Republic picks up and kind of makes things better. And they still had all these stories they wanted to tell and everything. But um, uh, so my question is, well, what happens if you've got this evil Empire and it falls and there's nobody who wants to pick it up and put it back together and make things right? And that's kind of where I got the basis for... Um, for Reign of Discordia, where um, you've got all these factions that used to be united under uh, a common government, and uh, they are not united. Like, even, even humans within the, the spaces primarily controlled by humans, um, they're not necessarily allied with one another. They might be at war with one another. Um, so, uh, in the first edition of the game, there was a. Um, there's a an alien species that still posed a um a threat to the uh former imperium worlds they're called the retilic um and then they are uh, they're actually dealt with um at the end of at the end of what was meant to be the first editions kind of life cycle um and then i had actually had plans to do a second edition like even way back then um so we never actually got around to publishing the you know the end of that story arc uh due to the fact that uh gunmetal games decided to discontinue Rain of discordia in favor of focusing exclusively on interface zero which was the um cyberpunk um the the cyberpunk genre uh game and that was for savage world so basically um, he ended up, David ends up turning Reign of Discordia over to me, so at that point I actually owned Reign of Discordia Lock, Stock, and Barrel, and I had my hands full of other things. Didn't really get along, didn't really get around to it. Um, but, you know, so now we're getting to the second edition, and uh, the, the Rotillic had been basically dealt with, but part of dealing with the Rotilic involved using a piece of technology that you could call super science and it destabilized the world of uh or the i'm sorry destabilized the um uh the star of the lamagos homeworld. now the lamagos are they look a lot like humans except they have blue skin um and they're naturally uh totalitarian well i wouldn't say naturally but they have a strong tendency toward totalitarianism and uh we'll just say military adventurism so when they found out their home world was going to be destroyed when their star went supernova um, they decided to basically militarize and uh it basically just adds to the chaos but that's where we're at with the primary background storyline for the second edition is uh that's basically what's going on so it's kind of like if you were a character um in in our world um during world war ii it wouldn't matter where you lived in our world world war ii would in some way shape or color how you see things or um you know or it would directly affect you you might be part of the war that's that sort of thing so that's that's kind of um that level of uh of event that is going into second edition
0: Okay, that's a lot to think about. So before we uh, dive too deeply into this world, we're gonna look at this cover that's well at least the cover as the as it is on the Kickstarter at the moment. because um, this is Kickstarting, we'll get into it. But uh, what can you tell us about this art? Like how did you come up with this art style that uh, that we're looking at? Because it definitely has a unique feel to it, but I'm liking it.
1: So what I wanted to do is I wanted to have something that was a um, a collage. You know, something to show the fact that there's space battles and show some of the aliens. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's what we ended up doing. And um, we sent that off to the artist and he did an amazing job.
0: He did. And before we um, before we move on, because I'm going to show some of the art that's on your Kickstarter page, because that's obviously public. Uh, and we'll talk about the style a little bit. I noticed on there that you mentioned that the Kickstarter is funded and people that aren't familiar with Kickstarter would say, okay, well, maybe that means they don't need my money. So can you make the pitch about why someone should support a funded project? Even if, you know, in theory it's going to happen because it's been paid for. Well,
1: first of all, there's the rewards. You you kick in to help it out, help out the project. You're going to get the game. Um, you're going to, you know if you just do the kickstarter um you're gonna get either the white star edition or the 5e edition or both depending on what you choose um and you might also get uh you might also get my copy of uh, or a a digital copy of neurogenesis which is the novel that i wrote and released about a year ago that ties into the setting um and then after that if you actually do the uh all the stars then you'd be able to get um, a copy of uh, all of those things, or at least a printed edition of uh, the five E version and White Star um, at cost, because those are going to be print on demand. Okay. So there's there's the rewards aspect. Um, there's also the you know the more money we have to work with, the better we can make the book. Um, some of the interior art that went into the original one i'm not crazy about it um the artist, literally i uh, don't well i'm not going to mention the artist's name but uh the artist that we had initially hired um he turned over some pieces that we felt were kind of less than, less than inspired so we went back to him and said we'd like these changes and instead of making the changes he actually walked off the project and then we had and then at that point we were scrambling because we needed to hire a new artist oh that's um, the
0: worst feeling in the world
1: yeah well fortunately that wasn't my headache at the time that was that was dave jarvis's <laughs> headache but <laughs> uh so we end up with actually some really nice pieces from some various artists after that but we also ended up with some some ones that made it into the book that we really feel just kind of missed the mark um so we want to we want to eliminate a lot of those pieces that we feel miss the mark and replace them with better ones this is also going to be a bigger book so we need more art um, so basically if with your support we can hire artists to give us you know higher quality images for the uh for the book um we can give you more content because frankly the higher this this project funds at, um, the longer I can work on it. You know, I'm a I'm a full time freelancer. This is what I do. So, um, you know, if this thing funds at say ten thousand instead of four thousand, um, that's extra time I've got to work on it, which means more things that are going to end up in the book. Um, so that's basically um, what uh, what I would say the advantages. You know the the more that the more that we get out of the uh, fundraiser, um, the better book you're going to end up with. And um, I would also say that the higher it funds, that's also going to indicate the level of support that we give it after the Kickstarter as well. So if you want additional material, um, then I mean, and we will be supporting it regardless. I'm not gonna not gonna say if you want additional material, kick in a whole bunch of money. No. Um, what I am saying is that uh, the more money there is, that'll be an indication of how much more material there should be.
0: OK, and uh, we are going to uh, zoom back out so you can look at some of the other art that what we're looking at. So what can you tell us mm-hmm. about the uh, the people in this image? What, what kind of uh, races and um, stuff are we looking at? This is from your Kickstarter page, obviously, some of the featured art.
1: Yeah. Um, So what you've got there is you've got a Talonite rogue. So that's the guy in the back. He is he is from um, an insectoid hive based species. Um, They're very uh, they're very loyal to their queen and they can actually their appearance can be adjusted or I should say um, their their body form is actually created by the Queen to do specific jobs. So in this case, that guy's a rogue. So he's he's long and lanky, and, and that sort of thing. Um, next to him is a Lamago soldier. Um, you'll note that he looks very human; that he's got uh, blue skin, and we kind of went with a um, Soviet Union style look for their society. And this guy is outside of battle armor. The, the battle armor these guys wear, um, you know. It's, it's very distinctive. Um, it's black. It's, you know, they've got there's like blue, blue lights where the eyes are and they look pretty sinister. Um,
0: Starla, you need to
1: knock that off. You need to get out of this room right now. Sorry. Um,
0: no, it's okay. Mine interrupts too. Sometimes it happens. <laughs>
1: um, so like I said, we're, we're kind of inspired by the old Soviet look at the old Soviet Soviet union with them. Um, and then finally we've got uh, in, in the front we've got a human sharpshooter
0: okay and now we're going to go to the other image that was included so what are we looking at here this looks like some sort of space fight what are the ships we're looking at um well let's see the
1: ship that they're fighting was something that the artist just kind of came up with Obviously, it's some sort of an unknown uh, alien that we have yet to actually define within the game. Um, But it's definitely something that can happen within the game. Um, You know, just because this whole thing takes place in this, uh, you know, the former Imperium does not mean that there's, uh, you know, it's still a small chunk of the galaxy and there's a lot of aliens that come from elsewhere that can show up and make their presence known. So that's basically what is happening right here. And um, they're obviously uh, not um, on friendly terms there.
0: So it's a galactic smackdown is what you're telling me. Yep. All right. So we're going to throw that image back up. There we go. Throw that image back up dearly. Oh, and uh, oh my goodness. No, I'm, I'm not trying to. There you go. If you look in the bottom left corner, I can't zoom in quite right. Uh, without making it look like I'm trying to do something inappropriate you can see his uh, triple D branding and I really like that uh, mm-hmm. that logo. Um, so that was that was nicely done. I didn't catch that at first cool thanks. All right so now that we've uh, oohed and odd over the art and gotten a little bit of backstory on the uh, on the universe um, let's move on to the core, core rule book or the core system. what would the 30 second elevator pitch for this game be?
1: Okay 30 second elevator pitch. Uh, Using the White Star and the 5E systems, this is space opera. Um, So you can um, basically do anything you want within this universe. We're going to have rules for um, starship combat. Uh, There is no space magic in the setting, but there is psionics. Um, And it is basically a setting of high adventure um, set within the ruins of empire.
0: Okay. All right. So let's talk about that RPG. Uh, you mentioned, obviously it's in fifth edition, Dungeons Dragons. If you don't know what that is, you've been living under a rock. So let's move on and talk about what the Kickstarter is for, which is the OSR version, which is the white star, or white box. Is it white star or white box?
1: Uh, it's white star.
0: Okay, the White Star, White,
1: White Star and 5e. So we're going to end up with two books, one for each system.
0: Okay. So what makes your game, uh, regardless of the system, I'm assuming that there's commonality between them, even if the dice they're rolling are the different. So what makes your game special? What sets it apart from the crowded fields you're competing in?
1: Well, um, I know that there is space opera for 5th edition already, and White Star is actually a space opera game. Uh, osr game um so what makes it different is this one's actually supported um meaning that we've got fiction you know we've, we've got a novel um we're going to continue the support after second edition and that's as opposed to uh without naming any names other kickstarters have come along and have done space opera that are fifth edition compatible um Those ended up just kind of being fire and forget type releases. So a lot of people went and got them and then no more support from the publisher. Um, I'm going to continue supporting the setting with scenarios and more in-depth world write-ups and organization write-ups and things of that nature so that if you're following along and you've got these things, eventually you're going to have a really good, solid understanding of what this setting is all about and you'll be able to set your own games um, within it, uh, feeling confident in the material that you're working with. Um, So
0: so you mentioned earlier that you came to D&D through the the module. At least you rolled dice for the first time through one of the modules, the B4 module. So Mm -hmm. will there be modules set in this universe for people to, you know, jumpstart their first session?
1: Yes. Yeah. Can you tell Um, us, are are
0: they going to be in the Kickstarter, or is that separate?
1: so there's gonna be um there was initially a a module for random discordia first edition called virus and i haven't decided yet whether or not that one's getting converted but um we are tentatively calling the first second edition adventure lamagos hellhole um so that's gonna be actually in the core book um and then after that, like I mentioned the support um, that we're going to have, um, some of that is going to be adventure material. And what I'd like to do is over time, have those, you know, those some of those adventures will link up to tell the larger story, the, uh, you know, the the main um, uh, world events that are happening in Reign of Discordia, um, from kind of the beginning of where we're at where the second edition begins to to the point where that story is resolved and potentially the start of a third edition or the kickoff of a new story arc or something like that
0: so you know for those that are new to this reign of discordia they they obviously they found it through this episode they know there's a kickstarter out there for the second edition where, if they wanted to get the first edition to sort of build, because a lot of people are collectors or completionists, so they mm-hmm. want it all, right? Is mm-hmm. the first edition still available for sale? Uh, would that potentially be on your website?
1: So you can still get the first edition. Um, when uh, David Jarvis allowed me to take on ownership of the uh, Randis intellectual property, um, I did tell him that it was fine with me if he keeps the originals up for sale so he can make the money off it. Um, so if anybody wants to go and purchase those, they are available through drive through Um, there was a, um, traveler version, although I have to say that I can't actually recommend that one.
0: <laughs> okay. Is there any plans? So Aside from the, the game engine that runs them being different, is the mm-hmm. first edition is set at a different time in the in the universe. Right. Is there any plan to convert those to the to the White Star or Five E? Um, not right now. So, one thing that I want to
1: um, that I do think is important is that you can play in both eras of the game. So if you want to be um, running in the first edition era when the Rotilic are still a major problem and, and that sort of thing, uh, you can definitely do that and the game will support that. Um, and there will be information in, in the, the book to support that. Um, but then, you know, kind of the, uh, the current year for the setting will be um, 10 years after the fall of the Stellar Imperium or five years after the um, first edition
0: okay all right so was there and we we've covered a little bit about the world that the reign of discordia takes place in was there anything to about the world itself that you thought people that are considering this kickstarter need to know that we haven't discussed since we started talking today um uh, i
1: can't really think of anything that you know we haven't um there's a lot of specifics i mean you know we can go over the specific um alien species that show up in it um but I don't think that's necessarily something that people are going to want to hear about right now. I think that's more the type of thing they're going to want to um, look at and read about um, when they actually see the book. Um, so I would say mainly that uh, the one thing that you should be aware of is that you can pretty much, if you've got a certain mode of, of space opera or science fiction um, that you really enjoy and want to play, there's room for that in Rain of Discordia. Um, if you are just wanting to you know, go out there and fight the space fascists. Uh, that's the Lamagos, and you can have a great campaign where you're doing, you know, hit and runs and big battles and things like that, and that can be your game. If you are more of a, a fan of the space western, um, there is a, a section of the world where they're literally um, it's <clears throat> mostly colony worlds. So you can have a um, a game where you're running a little a little freighter um picking up stuff from one world dropping it up off in another world and having adventures and, you know in the meantime um similar to you know firefly um
0: i was just thinking this sounds very friendly.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah um and if you're into exploration uh there's a lot of unexplored space uh both win- within and outside of the imperium so if you know if your thing is uh you know, you want to come up with uh, a world and uh, do a session or two around what might happen when you're exploring that world, you can do that. Um, as a matter of fact, um, the novel that, that I have out there, uh, Neurogenesis, um, that's actually following a group of archaeologists. So it's, it's pretty much a setting that will allow you to do whatever you want um, within the space opera
0: genre. Okay, so is, does the system, as it's designed, the rule set that you have in the in the core rulebook, um, does it give the the DM and players the tools to add layers of their own to the world building? So if they wanted to explore outwards to a, a you know fill in the blank star cluster with new planets, is Absolutely. the is the stuff there? Um.
1: There's going to be some support for that. Um, I would say if you look in the first edition, it kind of hints at it, but there's no real, um, there's no real, here's how you do this, you know, step-by-step process of, you know, building new systems and new worlds and that sort of thing. Um, I'd like to support that a little bit more with the second edition. Um, It may not be a roll master style, um, roll a bunch of dice and this is what you come up with. It might be more like, You know, these are the type of worlds that you might decide to make. And here are some suggestions for what you might put on them. But, you know, really what it comes down to is follow your own, you know, follow your own creativity. um, Add to this universe. We're giving you 50 worlds in the core book. um, And that's just a start. And, you know, you're absolutely, absolutely encouraged to come up with more worlds that you can put, you know, in between within this area or you know you get outside of the former Imperium and it's all unknown um like I said you're you're absolutely encouraged to explore that if you want to
0: so if somebody says you know what I've got this perfect idea in this universe and we're going to explore just in the left field where it's not you know the light doesn't shine in your core rule book and they come up with what they think is the perfect campaign or or module uh do you accept people that that are interested in writing in this world since you said you're supporting more content or is it exclusively you for now um for now it's just me but
1: you know I've got the discord there's ways that people can get a hold of me if somebody comes up with a really cool idea and they want to see it published I'm going to look at it and you know, I can't promise anything, um, <laughs> but uh, there's there's a chance that yeah, I might uh, I might come up with some sort of a uh, an agreement with them, um, say a, a royalty splitting um, arrangement or something like that, and uh, get it into print form.
0: Okay, so you mentioned that the core rulebook is is uh, they'll get 5 or or the the white star. Will mm-hmm. there be a monster manual, or is that all in the core rulebook? Um
1: so i'm not actually doing monsters and the reason why is because um every world you go to is going to have different creatures and you can amass a huge number of them very quickly there are some sources where i'm going to recommend that people you know people check out now obviously there is no um there's no magic in this setting um but uh like legendary games has a couple of um uh, a couple of 5e compatible uh monster books that are science fiction um i wouldn't hesitate to to recommend those books um there's a few more that are out there um and eventually we probably will accumulate enough original ones um through the publication of adventures to where we might actually just take them and consolidate them into a monster manual style uh book but that's not going to be until further on down the road
0: so I guess another way to look at that, since as you mentioned, there's no monsters. This is more just sci-fi. I guess you'd call it a bestiary instead, but most mostly just the kind of creatures they might uh, encounter. Right. Um, so so for now, there are some um, third-party sources that they might use for inspiration that they could convert. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So for players that come at the role-playing game through a through the fantasy side, with like Dungeons and Dragons and the like, or or Pathfinder. Um, what player classes can they play in this system?
1: Uh, that is something we're actually not elaborating on too much. And the reason okay. is because we are still um, kicking some ideas around yeah. on that. Um, you will have a roguelike character. You will have a sharp uh, sharpshooter-type character, um, <coughs> soldier-type character. Um, so basically, if you... If you would normally associate it with um, with science fiction and space opera, um, or even the modern day, uh, we're going to have some representation of it in the book.
0: Okay. <laughs> you mentioned that this is um, going to be fully supported with, with future updates. So obviously this is just you speculating nothing is set in stone, but what kind of updates do you think you're going to have uh, for this system?
1: Um well you know like i said before i'd like to take um i'd like to take the worlds and e- each of those 50 worlds i mentioned is going to be taken up about a page on um within the within the book um i would like to take <coughs> i would like to take some of the more interesting ones or maybe eventually all of them and turn them into five thousand world uh, five thousand word sup- supplements um which you'll be able to buy fairly cheaply um So we'll have that Um, if we come, you know, if we come up with or somebody submits a class that works well in the setting, um, we might put that out there. Um, We might go into more uh, depth on some of the organizations that are mentioned in the book. Um, So basically what what it comes down to is uh, you're you're just going to get each of the supplements. Um, And and then adventures. But each of the supplements is going to just kind of take one of the areas that's in setting and do a deeper dive on it and give you more information.
0: Okay. But can they make a run with their space fighter through a trench of some sort to destroy a large structure that people might or might not be familiar with?
1: (laughs) If the GM wants that, sure.
0: (laughs) So how much more having only role-played fantasy Uh, There's not been a lot of call for maintaining or or controlling vehicles in my campaigns. So how difficult is that to manage something like space when you've got everything is now in three dimensions?
1: So first of all, there's not really a good way to do three dimensions on a two-dimensional surface. So um, unfortunately, we can kind of uh, forget that idea. Um, (laughs) But excuse me. Um, the idea is, um, a lot of people who have run, um, you know, have run like space battles in their RPGs, a lot of people kind of hate it. And the reason is because we're put, you're basically taking the rules of the role playing game and adding another layer of rules in between, um, in between the players and the game they're trying to play. And It's my it's my design goal to make that uh, that extra layer of rules as transparent as possible. So what that means is that um, when doing a a space battle, um, there's still going to be an initiative order. The captain is going to give orders. They're going to either inspire or they're going to um, there's a few different actions they can take. Um, and then it's going to go to the next player, and that player is going to be able to, you know, if they're the engineer, they might try to affect repairs or fix shields or that sort of thing. Um, and that'll be a skill role. And then the next player might be the, um, you know, the helmsman, and it'd be, it'll be their job to steer the ship. Um, so the idea is that everybody has something to do. And then when we get to the um, the non-player characters, uh, the GM is going to be able to quickly look at their um, ship sheet and say, <coughs> "Well, we're on fire. We, need, you know, we're on fire. <coughs> and we need to make some repairs, or we need to put out the fire, and we need to shoot, and we need to raise shields, or, or you know, that that kind of thing." Um, the idea, though, is to keep the um, you know to to keep it so that it's still streamlined. Um, there are some systems out there such as for like what paizo has for the Starfinder system where the system already exists and we could literally use the open game license to take that system and plop it down in our game as is um but uh we're not doing that because we want to make this as streamlined as possible um and uh and you know thereby easier and faster for the players and there's also going to be two modes that you can play um one mode is going to be um you're sitting here and you've got uh say you've got several ships out on the on the field and it's gonna be done on a hex grid um so you're worrying about the movements of every ship and where they are in relationship to each other and you know the other things that might be out there like a planet or um, asteroids or or that sort of thing um the other mode is gonna be the quick and dirty mode which you're probably only using if you've got if the the characters are only in one ship um you know, say, uh, a freighter that's, you know, got tons of armor on it <laughs> and has been outfitted with uh, a quad laser cannon um, or a fighter or, you know, that sort of thing. <clears throat> and they only have like one or two um, opponents against them. Like I said, this is quick and dirty. So basically, you've got this, uh, this circular, um, circular thing that you're going to have in front of you with your ship in the middle, and it's going to be divided into quadrants and it will show where the other ship is in relation in relation to you so they might be at long range um, to port or they might be at uh they might be very close to you at short range um right in front of you and the idea there is you only need to worry about that much information to run the game and you don't need to break out a, a hex grid for that
0: so you mentioned the hex grid um Will there be where will there be maps um, on this um, in the core rulebook, or is that something that'll come later?
1: Um, it's basically going to just say use a hex grid. Um, there, there might be some maps that are um, that are re- related to the individual scenarios. Um, so you might be, you know, the scenario might be like. You know take your ship and overcome some fighters and land on this planet or something like that um so that that might be that type thing if it's a larger battle that we're setting up we might have you know a hex map with um a number of different groupings of ships that interact in some way um so it just it kind of depends on what the uh what's needed for the scenario
0: I couldn't um, begin to imagine the difficulty of trying to map out a three-dimensional galaxy on two-dimensional space anyway. I know there are mapping programs out there. As an author who tried to organize a universe, I know they exist, but man, trying to run it, like, it's just, it's difficult. Do you at mm-hmm. least say point A to point B is X number of light years, so it takes you X time to get there kind of thing? Yes. Okay. Um, well, that's that's a lot to think about. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, like it's a...
1: It is, it's, it's, it's a two-dimensional map of the universe as we know it, um, or it's actually just a section of the galaxy and a relatively small section at that. Um, but it is two-dimensional. It is top-down. It doesn't really take advantage of, uh, of three-dimensional space because I'm not aware of any way to do that. Um, you could always just put points on a map and then give it a value of plus or minus, and that's how far off the center plane they are. But at that point, you're kind of putting in more work than I feel is really necessary, um, and I don't think the players are going to necessarily care that much how far off the center plane it's going to be. So I think the two dimensional map is is adequate.
0: I imagine people that care that much of that level of detail are playing like the real time stuff on computers as opposed to role playing games. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I can I can appreciate that. Um, so, with the um, the stats that you have, because obviously you have stat blocks for a certain types of ships, is there enough in there in the core core rulebook that if a player wants to make their own ship of fill in the blank variety to add flavor, is there the tools there for them to be able to do that? Absolutely. Um, because I know like if you look at traditional um, fantasy role playing games, like the AC stats, for instance, like this type of armor, is x right like we'll say chainmail well you know this isn't technically chainmail. maybe it's greek bronze plate but it's close enough so right, you know you can right. do a quick fudge substitute Are those level of details there to allow that level of creativity
1: um yeah i mean basically um we're gonna give you some ships to start with we're gonna okay. give you rules for customizing the ships and uh over time we're gonna give you more ships so, if you want to take something that already exists and customize it, make it your own. Um, like I said, that's absolutely supported by the rules.
0: Okay. So... Uh, and the other
1: thing is, the other thing is, just because we have drawings of the ships in the book, does not necessarily mean that that drawing ha- in the book has to fit your version of that ship. Um, you know, a destroyer. Uh, we we show you what a destroyer might look like, but this might be a Talonite destroyer or a Lamagos destroyer, and you might come up with, you know, if you're artistically inclined, you might come up with a different look for that ship, and that's totally cool, too.
0: So, can you make your ship fast enough that you can make the castle run in 12 parsecs?
1: <laughs> uh, no, I that's impossible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so, All right, was there anything else about this world that sounds fascinating? Well, first off, since it is on Kickstarter, what are the different levels of support and and what does that get somebody who wants to um, support this project besides from funding what sounds like a really cool world?
1: Okay, so for $20, you get the PDF of either the White Star Edition or the 5e edition. $25, you either get the 5e edition um, or White Star Edition plus an electronic copy of the novel Neurogenesis, which ties into the setting. Um, at the, I'm going to have to actually go look at this, because I know that uh, I'm going to skip something if I don't. Um, so that was uh, 25 Okay, at the $45 level, that's the All the Stars level. So... At that level, you get a PDF of both the White Star and the Five E version of the book. You also get the electronic copy of Neurogenesis. <clears throat> In addition to that, we're going to put um, we're going to put the books up for um, uh, for print on demand, and we're going to do that if if you back at the forty five dollar level. We're going to do that to where we're not making any profit whatsoever. So basically, it's either going to be through drive-through or through Lulu, and you just go there, put in your coupon. They will charge you whatever it costs to print and ship, and that's it. And like I said, we don't we don't make a profit on that. If you back it at a lower level, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna you know we're we're gonna add a little bit of profit into that. So that's that's kind of one of the big advantages of the uh, the forty five dollar level. Um, we also have some. Uh, what you call whales, I guess. Um, The first one is for $165, you get everything at the $45 level. Plus, I will personally run a game for you online. Um, At $450, um, we will collaborate on a piece of short fiction, in addition to everything that was in the uh, $45 level. And if you really like the setting enough to put $5,000 into it, I will hand deliver a printed version of a game. You'll, you'll get everything at the $45 level. I will hand deliver a version of the game or the printed version of the game, um, of both White Star and, uh, and 5e, um, to your home, wherever you live, as long as it's in the continental United States. And while I'm there, I will actually run a game for your group. So that's kind of a deluxe um, thing. And I can't imagine
0: you get many takers on that.
1: I actually have one.
0: Wow. Okay. Congratulations. Now
1: I have to qualify that a little bit because they are what you would call a silent backer, meaning they didn't they are putting $1,000 through the Kickstarter. Um, the rest of it isn't going through the Kickstarter, and that's because they, actually it's a bank issue. So we're, we're kind of handling that off Kickstarter, but the total amount that we've raised is actually $4,000 more than what the Kickstarter currently shows, and it's because of that one particular backer. Um, they're also not from the United States, but uh, we're making arrangements to meet up uh, at some point either at uh, Gen Con next year or uh, somewhere local to me um, in Washington State and uh, and run it that way. Okay. That is
0: cool. That is cool. If I had that much scratch, I might, I might take an effort at that. So, uh, so buy more of our books. His too. Um, yeah. So yeah. we, you know, before we, before we move on, cause you know, this we talk about the Kickstarter, we want to talk a little bit about you as a, uh, game designer. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you have a novel set out in this world. Uh, is there plans when you talk about this system being supported, is there plans to add more fiction content to this world or will it mostly be the game at this point? Um, current plans are mostly
1: the game and that's because of the fact that you know that's what people are interested in that's what you know that's what's bringing them in and that type of thing however um i do have a group of characters that uh appear in neurogenesis and the plan was always to continue on with their adventures um so and that's actually um the, the story in blaster bolts is a prequel to um to neurogenesis so i would very much like to revisit those characters in the form of fiction and continue on with that um, I don't know when it's going to happen um, I've got a pretty good idea of what the larger story is going to be and um, so yeah let, let's just give it let's just leave that one with a solid maybe
0: okay so if somebody read that story and they absolutely loved it is there any chance they encounter those characters as NPCs in the um, the game?
1: Um, they will be statted up as NPCs in the game, yes.
0: i wow, freaking standing. That makes it even cooler. So let's talk about, you know, that we've talked about the Kickstarter. As usual, dear listener, the link will be in the show notes. As you're viewing this, it will still be live. So if this sounds cool to you, at least back it at the level to get a copy of the, of the you know, PDF. And show some love. Um, if you don't catch it in time, if you're watching this, you know a year later, whatever sometimes happens, uh, it will be for sale on Drive RPG. Correct?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. So, as a game designer, we're going to talk a little bit about you as a creative game designer, since so we have a little bit of time. So, how do you go about creating immersive worlds without stunting the role of the game master and the player when it comes to universe creation?
1: Um, the general idea is to give them the information they need to run it. In other words, tell them, um, you know, what's the flora and fauna like? What's the, um, you know, what, you know, what's what's it like? Uh, you know, in terms of uh, weather, is it a is it a forest world? Is it a desert world? Is it um, more like Earth, where there's a variety? Um, who's in charge? Who the groups are? The, you know, um, what what power groups are 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 going to be there um and then basically the gm can come in here and say well i like that i like that i like that you know or i'm going to take this group over here and they're going to be doing something in this world and the characters can get involved in it and that sort of thing so um the idea is to um you know to flesh it out mm-hmm. enough to where you can say where you can visualize what it looks like if you're actually there and then put plot hooks out there and then the GM can use those plot hooks or they can choose not to use those plot hooks. You know, they can do pretty much whatever they want because they're setting.
0: Okay. So uh, before we dive a little bit deeper into the broader Q and a, that is gaming, let's talk about the low hanging fruit. Now you came into gaming in the 96. So you watched it be revolutionized uh, with technology. So do you think on a fundamental level, role-playing has changed because of the, the way people engage with like, discords and zoom and, and roll 20 and all those things or do you think at its core gaming is still the same um i think that uh
1: the main thing that that uh the different communities out there have uh have led to is people want to run in a certain game system they can because they're not looking around for players in their local area um and then they can take it to things like uh you know the Roll 20 online gaming table and and run their game there um so i think that in that way it's allowed people access to games that they otherwise wouldn't necessarily have been able to uh to do um and a lot of that has to do with just the fact that there's so many people out there who the only game that they're going to play is D, the only thing they want is fantasy and they're really not interested in science fiction or modern day or you know all these other varieties they're just like i know D. that's what i like that's what i want to play and a lot of groups are are limited in what they can do because that's the mindset that they're running into um so i think that what that translates into is there's there's more people from everywhere playing you know playing games they wouldn't uh you know that they want to play
0: I hadn't considered that aspect of it, but it makes sense. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I grew up in a Navy town, so everyone was always moving. So I, it, it makes sense that that would allow you to find, you know, to stay in touch with an existing game. But mm-hmm. I hadn't considered the the difficulties in finding uh, tables to play at other than you know the the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room. Mm-hmm. That's actually something to think about. Um, so I've, I've run into that myself with my own, you know, my own
1: group of uh, of gamers. Um, i've been friends with the same group of guys since high school um here in town but to try to get them to play something else is nearly impossible so um i actually started up through uh through roll 20 um i started up my star trek game and my fallout game and you know like i said the only way that i can actually make that happen is because of the fact that i can find other people are really into those things who want to play it
0: so is your fallout game like sponsored by the fallout publishers or is this just something you're doing um i wouldn't say sponsored because
1: sponsored means they actually you know um usually give you product to give away um what it is modifius modifius entertainment they're the they're the company that makes the 2d 20 system and they're the ones who have the uh license to do the fallout game um they've actually got a, a streamers section of their website and we're listed there with the other people who are streaming um who are streaming their uh fallout games
0: i feel like such a bad nerd because i didn't know fallout the universe was actually an rpg as well because i played the the video game obviously on the xbox but mm-hmm. i didn't realize it existed in, in dice form which is kind of cool
1: it's fairly new and it's something that a lot
0: of companies have been trying to get off the
1: ground for a long time and Modiphius finally pulled it off. Um, you know, uh, I forget what the name of the game was, but uh, all the way back when third edition was the thing, um, yeah. there's a company that was contracted to do fallout. Um, and it would have been compatible with D and was using D 20 system. And uh, they actually ended up pulling the license from those people. And they had to put it out under a different name with obviously different art. Um, and then Modiphius, I guess, first they did a, a miniature, or no, they just did a board game. And uh, I think Bethesda was like, wow, that went so smooth. We'll just, you know, we'll just uh, go ahead and give you the RPG license too. And so it's out and it's it's a lot of fun.
0: It sounds like we'll have to check that out, and uh, we'll have to link to your YouTube channel. Is that where you run your game, or is it on Twitch?
1: I run it on Twitch, but I post the videos up on YouTube.
0: All right, so we'll link to both then. Um, so, you know, you've mentioned that this game obviously is is space opera, and D and D traditionally is fantasy. So, are there any genres of you know fiction that you think make a better, um, are better suited to translation into a gaming medium, or do you think any any fiction can be converted? Well,
1: uh, it kind of depends. I mean, I think that um, if we're talking about science fiction or fantasy, probably anything could be turned into a game. Um, But I think that uh, not every novel that exists that's interesting to read is going to be a fun RPG. Um, For instance... um, you know, Ulysses by James Joyce. Do you really want to play that RPG? <laughs> you know? I think, right. that, uh, I think it needs to have action. I think that's that's fairly important. Um, you know, it, it has to be... Um, it has to have a world that's engaging. Um, and I think that uh, to go along with that, um, the novel... Or the, the fiction can't just be like headspace kind of stuff. Um, you know, if, if the real action is what's going on in the character's head, how interested are you going to be, (coughs) excuse me, sitting down at a table with a group of players, um, kind of having those, those conversations or those interactions? Um, I, I think it would be a, a completely bizarre experience and not something I can really imagine. So, like I said, I think, I think it really comes down to action, diplomacy, skill, skill use, that type of thing.
0: So teenage angst need not apply. Got it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can have a a teen angsty character, but if that's the focus of your setting, that might
0: be tricky to pull off. (laughs) (laughs) That's very diplomatic. So, you you actually you did cover what what makes something ideal compatible so normally ask we would ask authors if there was any plans to convert their their universe if we thought it was appropriate into game form so let's reverse that with you since you've done both um have any of your independent ips aside from the reign of um uh discordia uh any of your games been novelized or is that the only one because you've worked in a lot of worlds there is another one
1: um The other one is, uh, nuclear sunset, which is an awesome title, uh, basically think, um, think fallout with the serial numbers filed off. Um, (laughs) I'm there for it. So, uh, and it's kind of funny because when I worked on D 20 apocalypse for Watsy, the name of the post nuclear settings, we had different settings that were post apocalyptic, the name of the post nuclear setting was atomic sunrise. So I'm doing doing my own when doing my own, I kind of reversed it and it's nuclear sunset. Um, So anyway, I I did a a regional source book for the Pacific Northwest, um, which I'm actually using along with the Fallout content to do the the streaming Fallout game that we discussed already. Um, And that has actually spawned a novel, which... um, now i'm suddenly drawing a blank on what the title of that novel is um i'll look it up on amazon real quick um oh, no i'm sorry it's legacy of ruin it's nuclear sunset uh legacy of ruin so um if you're interested in a post nuclear post-apocalyptic setting um that takes place in the united states pacific northwest uh that might be a fun book for you to read lots of mutants and uh, a story that I'm kind of proud of and uh that's actually currently um Nuclear Sunset is actually currently owned by Vigilance Games but I am in negotiations with James Dossie to uh, get the rights back to Nuclear Sunset in the near future
0: okay all right so before we do the wrap-up portion of this interview if you could work, and obviously you've worked in some iconic ones, so maybe you already have, but if mm-hmm. you could work for any um, gaming franchise, is there anyone you haven't worked in that you'd love to?
1: The only one is actually Star Trek. And like I said, I am streaming a Star Trek game, but um, I've had some uh, some some talks with uh, the guy who kind of runs um, Star Trek for Modiphius. Um, he's like, pitched me some adventures I- ideas and you know, over the course of running these Star Trek games, I've come up with some adventure ideas. And um, basically, the last time I actually pitched him something was during COVID. And his answer was, well, uh, right now, Modiphius isn't having me do new adventures due to COVID. And since then, I haven't pitched him anything new. So I have a feeling that sooner or later, something's going to work out and I'm going to get to do something in, in Star Trek. Um but I've got a lot of other projects um, that uh, are are current, and uh, frankly, as a full time game designer, are paying me. So <laughs> it, it's something that I, I want that to happen sooner or later, um, and hopefully, it will.
0: I have to say that's the one thing that always makes me laugh when people ask, you know, newer creators, like, "How do you come up with your ideas? You know, where do you like? How do you turn them off?" Like, that's the real problem. I just want a good night's sleep. Make them go away for five
2: hours.
0: <laughs> All right. So yeah. if, if you got hired by any company to turn an existing franchise that's in book or movie, but doesn't exist in game space into a game, is there anyone that you'd want? Oh, man, that's tough because there's so
1: many of them that uh, that have been turned into games. Um, I would have said Fallout once upon a time, but that's been done. Um Star Trek has been done several times now. Um, Star Wars, again, has been done several times. Um, Lord of the Rings, done. Um, Stranger Things. uh, They've got a game called Kids on Bikes, which is basically Stranger Things. They've also done, WotC's done the Stranger Things um, D&D box. Um, Yeah, that's that's a tough one, just to try to find something that hasn't been done um the orville <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> i was just thinking like like the elder scrolls universe which is a technically an rpg because it's the video version but i don't mm-hmm. think there's a roll dice version yet or um dragon age which is also a a, a computer or a video game version of there an RPG. Is a,
1: there is a dragon age rpg by um green
0: ronin Wow. Okay. I'm going to have to look that up because I, I love the universe, <laughs> but I do say it, it was a lot more restrictive because it was linear. It wasn't as open world, but I mm-hmm. think the Canon was kind of cool, like the ideas. So I think that's another thing to consider. You got to have some, some cool Canon ideas to give something to work with in, for a game to work. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I've seen some games that fizzled out on Kickstarter that just the Canon the concept, like the game might've been fun, but the core Canon behind it was kind of like, eh, okay. I, I think that makes a difference too.
1: Yeah. So uh, since, since
0: since this is wrapping up, um, was there anything about the Reign of Discordia or the Kickstarter that we didn't ask to bring it home to why we brought you here that you want to tell us as a as a send-off?
1: Well, I, I think we've kind of covered the subject matter and what the design goals were and what it has to offer you. Um, you know, basically rules for sci-fi in fi- 5th edition or uh, things to enhance your White Star game uh, within <laughs> the frame of Discordia universe. So... Um I guess the main thing that's important to get across right now is that we have funded and we currently have uh, 13 days to go. and you know, the, the the greater funding level we hit, the more we can do with the book. So we really could use your support.
0: So that's a question I didn't ask that I before before we I promise we're wrapping this up, dear listener. Do they need to buy the White Star? core rulebook to play your game or is everything they need self-contained because i mean obviously you're using the engine but do they need to buy that book i mean yeah
1: they're they're gonna need to have the the fifth edition set of rules and frankly um because that's an open source game they could actually just go to the fifth edition srd and look up the rules that are not included in the book to be able to play the game um in the case of white star it would be a probably a pretty good idea for them to own a copy of the white star core book.
0: Okay. So that is something to consider dear listener, but um, all right. So as we wrap this up before we go, I would like to uh, harken back to the days of old when we were still the sci-fi shenanigans podcast. And remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms your reviews help the right readers or gamers find the right books or games. So I promise you, if you buy it on DriveThruRPG, you can review the product over there. If you buy the stuff over on Amazon or Lulu uh, is the print on demand, you can also review the products. So do your part, people. And if you want, start a blog, review it there. Get a YouTube channel, Twitch channel, whatever. All the things, your reviews and thoughts matter. And you help the right... Uh, Build the right community of like-minded folk. So, uh, so do your part, dear dear user of the content. Having said that, in our obligatory, please rate and review. Uh, Darren, can you tell uh, listeners how they can find you?
1: Okay, so um, I am on Facebook. Um, you can find me on Twitch. On my um, uh, the name of the channel is going to be changing in the near future, but you can currently look it up under Two D Twenty Fallout. Pac Northwest or P-A-C-N-W. Um, so that's where you can find me there. Um, obviously the Kickstarter, you can find me on YouTube where our gaming videos are uh, are posted so you can watch them. Uh, and you can also join my Discord community.
0: All right. And dear listener, we have it uh, on good authority that when he changes his, um, his Twitch name or any of the other stuff, we will update the show notes. So it will stay as current as... Um, as long as he he lets us know of the changes. Uh, most of the time, if they update the the links, the old URLs will still redirect. Um, so you still should be good. Uh, if you find problems with it, just reach out to me and I will bug him until I get the right one because uh, sometimes stuff slips through the cracks. But, um, but yeah, those are the links for him. They will be in the show notes. You can find us on our Twitter at twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. If you've got really cool people you want us to interview, you should reach out there and tell us or send them that way because we're always looking for new guests to get on the on the docket. Uh, you can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen, which is facebook.com at backslash groups, backslash a blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups. Backslash blasters and blades podcast. We have a website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and Tack blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. So you can go for as little as 99 cents a month. Or you can hop on over to buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. And if they were here, they would tell you they were no quitters. But they're busy at work doing work things. I don't know what that's about. But anyway, as we wrap this up, I've got one question for the road. We would not be the blasters and blades if I didn't ask you. You have to settle the age old discussion. Do you put pineapple on the sacred pizza or not? Oh, heck no. No way. All right, you get to stay. Doxy, he sided with me. (laughs) yeah. All right. Dear listener, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Handley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time, where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.